Welcome to the, the Get, Get Together, Together podcast. podcast. Beep. It's a show about the nuts and bolts of community building, and I am your host, Bailey Richardson. I am a partner at People & Company, and for the purposes of this podcast, big reveal, I'm also a queer woman. Proud queer woman. Proud queer woman. I'm Kevin Huynh, also a partner at People & Company, and I'm another guy on this podcast. Yeah, you're not a proud queer woman, but not a proud queer you're woman. a good ally. But I'm, yeah, I'm an ally to a proud queer woman who's my business partner. Hell yeah. Thank you, brother. Each episode, Kevin and I interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to thousands more members? Today, we're talking to Liz Alpern, one of the founders, though she skews the sense of individual ownership of the group, of Queer Soup Night. Queer Soup Night. Queer Soup Night, QSN. I've always dreamed of a soup party. I love soup. I'm totally into soup. I'm like... Even when I was a kid, I was into soup. It's like a joke in the family that I was like, I always wanted soup for lunch. Like I wouldn't, I didn't want a sandwich. I wanted like a thermos of soup. And that's how serious I was about soup. I was always dreaming of how can I create this queer soup thing. I mean, I really had a vision for it. Queer Soup Night started in Brooklyn with a simple event format in mind. Queer professional chef makes a soup. Attendees get to enjoy that soup and a rad-vibed party in exchange for a suggested donation, which goes to a cause that's selected for that night. The first Queer Soup Night went so well that Liz and her partners, Jen Martin and Kathleen Cunningham, knew they had to keep it going. Now there are queer soup nights in chapters around the country, from Oakland and Portland to Gainesville and to Boston. Their events have raised thousands of dollars for queer and queer adjacent causes like the New York Transgender Advocacy Group or the Center for Anti-Violence Education. So why soup? Why a party with a charity in mind? Why chapters? We'll get into the whole story with Liz today on the podcast. Kevin, what stood out with you about our conversation? You know, the thing that stood out to me is just the little decisions that make Queer Soup Night really welcoming. You know, Liz and the Queer Soup community seem to have a clear sense of that welcoming vibe they're going for. And there are these little decisions around, hey, let's not sell tickets. I mean, that can be, that means it has to be something you plan for. That means something that if your schedule isn't as sort of flexible, you would have to like slot it in. How they make, there are many layers of greeters at the event from the person that is, you know, just checking on you while you're in line to telling you how the Queer Soup Night works when you get inside to... Maybe just doing it with soup, an unintimidating, you know, meal at yeah. the end of the day. And I know those decisions sound maybe simple, but they really go a long way to create an in-person experience that feels welcoming. Yeah. And I think that's non-trivial as like a queer person. A lot of the spaces that are created are about like parting pretty hard or like finding a romantic partner mm-hmm. and kind of like a sceniness late night thing yeah. or really heavy activism based And Liz sort of combines, Liz and her partners kind of did a light of both of those and made this really beautiful third space. That's something that I'm totally like, this is my speed for sure. And a lot of other people feel the same. Yeah, it's casual. It's intentionally casual, not accidentally casual. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So cool. We'll jump right into it. Let's go, Liz. Cool. Take me back, Liz. Tell me, how did this Queer Soup Night get started? What was Queer Soup Night 1.0? Well, I've always dreamed of a soup party. Oh, really? Yes. And... (laughs) I love soup. I'm totally into soup. I'm like, even when I was a kid, I was into soup. It's like a joke in the family that I was like, I always wanted soup for lunch. Like I wouldn't, I didn't want a sandwich. I wanted like a thermos of soup. Any soup in particular? Nah, I'm like, I'm like. You're just. I mean, today I have 
preferences, but as a kid, I would say that I was pretty freeform huh. about my soup. And I think this is the appropriate interview to say this, but the original concept was actually called Hot Dyke Soup Canteen. Oh, what? And it was a pop-up restaurant that like it was hot dykes serving you soup, basically. Oh my it God. didn't ever happen. That was the concept, right? That Sounds was like, like a concept. Sounds like the future development of Queer Soup I Night. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> don't you want to go to that? Yes, I definitely want to do that. <laughs> And that's how serious I was about soup. I was always dreaming of how can I create this queer soup thing. I mean, I really had a vision for it, but it was pretty specific. And what I couldn't figure out was how to monetize something like that. And as a culinary professional, I didn't want to throw a pop-up and not make money off of it because if you've ever thrown a pop-up, you know that it's insane amounts of work. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't make any sense to throw a party and come out, you know, breaking even yeah. from a business perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after the election, I was feeling very much like many of our other progressive friends, very downtrodden, and very much interested in finding a way to be more active and be more involved. And it was like going to meetings and going to, you know, knock on doors, whatever the things that people were doing, and never quite found my place. And then the soup idea came back. It clicked. And it was like, oh, what if this was a fundraiser? Then there's no pressure to feel like this needs to make money. You don't have to do a budget. Like, yeah. wow, we really have to make sure this is tight. And obviously, at that point, it became clear that it shouldn't just be hot dyke soup canteen. Also, people did not like that. A lot of people thought that was <laughs> troublesome. And... That's their problem. But, um, <laughs> so Queer Soup Night was born. I do not remember the moment or time when we called it Queer Soup Night. But essentially, a bunch of my friends took over the local coffee shop where I did a lot of my work. And I was offered that space for free from the owner who I had befriended for a long time. Okay. Spent tons of time in that coffee shop. And I made three giant pots of soup. And we slapped together a flyer. You know, people came over to help me cook. I think I made some cornbread. And we just made a Facebook event and invited people to come. And I really feel feels like a long time ago and it wasn't that long ago but yeah it, it was feel, like 2017 right it was or? january 2017 was yeah. the first party so yeah, we were yeah. planning a little bit before then okay i could probably like go back in my emails and find some interesting <laughs> conversations about the development but it's hard to conjure exactly what it felt like but essentially we threw this party and it was mostly friends and then friends of friends and let's say maybe like 60 people showed up yeah by happenstance it was the weekend that the travel ban was announced mm. the muslim travel ban and so it ended up being this weekend weekend that was like really on fire. I mean, so many people were going to the airports and going to Battery Park. And I remember even like stopping making soup to like go to Battery Park to go to this big rally and energy was really high. So I think people really showed up and we switched the beneficiary organization at the last minute to be the Council on American Islamic Relations in New York and like just like kind of like went for it. And we ended up at the end of the night raising $750 or something yeah. like that and shutting all the lights off in the coffee shop and dancing and having a great time. And it was awesome. And everybody helped out. Every one of my friends that came helped out and it felt kind of like an extended house party, but also, you know, the soups were professional quality and, you know, we had music and a DJ and it was just awesome. Yeah. And so from there, it was kind of like, I think we got something. And can you tell, yeah. can you explain the format too? Oh because yeah, I think that's important. Was that crystallized in the very beginning or did you kind of develop it along the way? Like what components were there for the very right. first event? That's a good question. It hasn't changed that much. Okay. I will tell you. So the format now is folks come. Uh, we don't sell tickets. So 
you just mm-hmm. come to the door and you donate what you can. Mm-hmm. Our suggested donation is 10 to $20, but absolutely no one is turned away for lack of funds. And we purposefully do not sell tickets because that's a deterrent to a lot of people. And we want this to be something that you feel like you can just show up and be there. And it also, the one time we did sell tickets, it really changed who was there. Mm. And we realized that wasn't necessarily our target audience. Can you say more about that? I know it's like hard to put that into language, but I mean, it's not. It was like a different class of people. It was like people who have money and think ahead and are willing to pay ahead for something. Mm. And also culturally are like, hey, I'll buy a ticket to something two weeks in advance because I am willing to risk that I might not even make it, but I'm willing to pay $20 Mm -hmm. now. And we find that charging at the door allows people to come. Maybe they can't pay that $20. Maybe they can't pay any dollars. Most of the time people do donate, but you know, they don't have to. And people who don't have money that they can take a risk with. So if something happens and they can't be there. I also find the level of coordination it takes to get a ticket. It creates stress. It's like, you know, this, you live in New York. It's like, Oh, I got to get a ticket, you know? Oh, these are sold out, you know? And we now, because we have to sometimes do free RSVPs and Mm. people get stressed by them. Mm. Um, But we basically don't really check them. Secret to all of you. (laughs) Any super fans who are listening. (laughs) They are mostly imposed by some venues that require you to have RSVPs. Okay. Um, And it's great to have emails because then we can be in touch with people via email. So, you know, but we don't actually generally, unless we were at max capacity, have to enforce our RSVPs. So you come to the door, you make a donation, you are greeted by someone. And once you enter the party, there's two to five chefs serving up soups that they have made. Yeah. Professional quality chefs. So it's actually not a potluck. It's very decidedly not a potluck. Yeah, the food is legit. The food is legit. And you have a background in food, as you mentioned. Yeah, I work in food professionally. Yeah. And so there's soup and there's bread. Yeah. The bar is usually open for whatever drinks you want to have. And the only programming that happens is that at some point in the night, the beneficiary organization that people are donating toward will speak and say a few words about what they do. And that's it. It's just a party. It's a queer party. There's a DJ, there's soup, there's bread, there's drinks if you want them. Don't have to get a drink. People hang out, they make friends, and it's just all about positivity, welcoming, good vibes. We try and break the mold of queer parties being clicky. I don't know if we achieve it or not, but we're trying. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. There was an article I read where one of you guys described like a goal as nourishment, just because there's a lot going on. It's always been hard to be queer, but right now there's just like a lot of stress in the air. And like you said, feeling downtrodden, but I feel like there's some really nice feeling to the idea of soup and nourishment. And can you talk a little bit about like how you decided to fill that space because there's a lot of social only sort of like romantic events for queer people and also like specific to certain types of queer people not sharing the space for sure and then there's a lot of like really intense activism like some of the stuff you were going to so how did you understand that you wanted to be somewhere in the middle or kind of like serve a third space you know this This was selfish. This is what I Mm. wanted to do, Mm. right? I didn't belong in purely hardcore activist space. I never have. And it's not because I don't 
think I could do it or I don't have the stomach for it. It's because I know what I'm good at. And the skills that I have learned to develop have not necessarily applied always in activist spaces that I've been to. I'd love for someone to show me a different, like offer me more opportunities and for me to seek them out. But something I really know how to do is get people together and cook for them and get people excited and build energy and build community. I mean, I don't know if I know how to build community, but I feel like it's happening and, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not just me. And I feel really strongly about that. So this format was a way for me to do something really positive in the activist sphere using the skills that I had. And we've joked about Queer Soup Night that it's a bit of a format for the 30s to 40s crowd of queers who want to gather with other queers and they want to go to parties. They don't just want to like go to a book reading or, you know, the queer knitting circle or something. I don't want to go to either. I mean, maybe a book reading, but I was like, maybe the knitting circle. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get a skill. I learned to knit once and I was like, get me out of here. A nightmare for me. I'm so bad at this. Wow. Woo, so bad. But they want to go to a party. People want to go to a party. Everybody wants to go to a queer party. Yeah. But you don't necessarily want to go to a queer party at 11 p.m. On the West Side Highway. On the West Highway, yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. And I love to go out. I actually love partying. But it doesn't always fit with my lifestyle because I work on the weekends. And I have, like, a hustling lifestyle. Like, I can't always go out like I used to. Yeah. And not just because, like... I don't want to be hanging out with 22-year-olds, but also because it's just physically, like, you got to live your life. And, yeah. like, when you're out that late, you got to, like, get up in the morning and do your thing, you know? So this party was also selfish because it was, like, I want to still party with my queers, but, like, could we find another way to do it? Yeah. So it's activism. It was, it's the space of hanging out with queers. And particularly at that time in 2017, it felt very important to be with queer community. Yeah. It felt really important. And I can remember very distinctly that a couple days after the election, my book had come out. I wrote a cookbook. And, um, Plug book, it. What's it called? The Gefilte Manifesto, New Recipes for Old World Jewish Foods. Oh. Flatiron Books 2016. Hell yeah, girl. Check it out, y'all. <laughs> For all your for all your old world Jewish cooking needs anywhere, get it on uh, any online retailer, any brick and mortar retailer. It is there. Hell yeah! Buy it from them. Don't buy it from me because we got to get those numbers up. Yeah, yeah. write an Amazon review. Yeah, really? oh my god, write an Amazon review. Yeah. Anyone who's trying to buy a book out there, sell a book out there, just write the Amazon review. Ask for them and write them for real though. So my book had come out, and so I was actually on a book tour from September 2016, basically till now, like for real. But it was like three days after the election, I had to fly to Chicago. So Illinois went blue in the election. And then I took a train from Chicago to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm. And I remember getting out in Ann Arbor, Michigan and going, I don't trust any Because <laughs> Michigan went red, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And it was like this really freaky feeling. And I think that, I don't know if you all felt this way, but definitely after the election, there was this general skepticism I had of everyone around yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I trust you to support queers? Can I trust you to support people of color? Can I trust you to support poor people? I don't know who what's going on anymore. It was so turned upside down. I didn't know who to trust. And in some ways, that's like a, you know, it's very reactionary and intense to be like, I don't know if I trust you. It's like, should I trust you even if you voted for, you know, Hillary Clinton? I don't know. But it felt like a skeptical time. And so it felt even more important to just be with people that you felt like you trusted. And 
being queer is not quite enough to just say, just because you're queer, I trust you. The idea of gathering around supporting an organization meant that we shared a set of values, right? Yeah. So we're gathering not just to be queer and like party together and to raise funds for an organization we can all get on board with. Yeah. So we as Queer Soup Night don't raise funds just for queer organizations, but what we say is our guideline is A, is always local, and B, it has to be an organization that the queer community is on board with, yeah. essentially. And not that I could speak for every queer, but but like there are causes that we care about. Yeah, there's like adjacent like non correct non direct correct yeah, correct intersectional yeah. issues exactly I love that it's about sort of like bonding and bridging at the same time you know it's like bring, bringing yeah. together your immediate community your people getting together but also around supporting maybe not necessarily a cause that is like only the people in this room are affected by right. such cause right know? yeah for sure and actually. One of the things that we see a lot is that people learn about something they never knew about yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. That happens a lot. And we get that feedback. And yeah. I'm really happy about that because I've learned so much mm-hmm. about so many important issues. And what we always say is that the issues that we are addressing and the organizations that we're working with have been around before Trump was elected. They'll yeah. be around yeah. after Trump was elected. Like, let's not be, let's not have any illusions. Sometimes people try and say things like, well, do you think, like, if Trump gets thumped out of office, you're still going to do Queer Soup Night? I'm like, yeah. Like, <laughs> have you seen the world? It's terrible. Like, let's, you know, <laughs> like, why are we? <laughs> That's ridiculous. And even if it was wonderful, <laughs> Queer Soup Night should exist. For yeah, sure. Yeah. Just the, for the sake yeah. of getting together. Soup. You know? The yeah. original idea. Yeah. Soup. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you, you said something a little bit earlier about how you know how to get people together and you know how to, like, throw a food party, throw a party. And I'm wondering, like, what is some stuff that you think you can see and you know about how to get people together because of your background in food like the average person may not think to include in an event and it might even just be you pick soup because I've read a little bit about how soup is affordable and soup is something that people can make in so many different sorts of ways so maybe that's Mm. one of those elements but what are some things that you feel like are a personal thumbprint of like you and your background in food that show up in the event it's an interesting question because in some ways it's like it depends who you want to get together is like what you do. So, you know, I throw Jewish food events all the time and some of the tactics are the same and some of them aren't. Right. So I joke a lot that I like deal in only hyper niche areas of interest, like <laughs> queer soup and Eastern European Jewish. Like those are the two things I know about really and truly. Like that's basically what I do all day is talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And with queer soup night, again, we feel strongly about reducing those barriers to entry. So for example, not selling tickets. So it doesn't feel like something, if you don't have a ticket, if you didn't know, then you can't just show up, right? Mm. Now, we have to do RSVP sometimes, but reducing a barrier, you don't have to be planning way ahead Mm. to go to this thing. Mm. Number two is, I think the venue really matters. Mm. So we have been approached on multiple occasions by corporate entities who are saying, hey, why don't you have your party in our office? Like, we'll pay for the booze, it'll be really cool. Mm. And we have said no, at least twice, because I do not want anyone to have to go through security to go to queer soup night. Mm. Like queer people get policed enough. Like we don't need to have to go. You know, when you walk into those offices and like, even though it's really cool, you've been yeah. to these parties and there's some security guard in a suit and he's like, what are you here for? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, uh, the party that I heard about online was signed up for registered because, yeah. and, and that security job guard is doing their job, right? A hundred percent. But 
it doesn't feel safe, I think. So we try and go to places that, of course, there might be a bouncer, like there should be a bouncer, but that that bouncer is like, hey, welcome to this venue. We're happy you're here. And that what we actually do is we put people outside often, mm. unless it's really I cold. I heard you say you had a greeter. Oh, we have like multiple layers of greeters. We have like three why layers of greeters. Yeah, why is that? Well, because that's what it is. So when you show up to a party and there's a line outside the door and you don't know what to do, that sucks. Mm. That doesn't make you feel welcome. Yeah. And I know we've all been to those parties. Yeah. So what if there's somebody outside who's like, hey, I'll just wait in this line. We're checking IDs. You'll be in in a few. Think about how much easier it is for you to be into that experience when there's a smiling person telling you what to expect. And then when you get in the door, someone's like, welcome to Queer Soup Night. Is it your first time? Here's how it works. Mm. And then when you get into the room with the soup, there's another person who's like, hey, these are the soups. This is what's going on. And like, I'm not sure we catch every person who walks through the door at all three layers, but like we try. Yeah. You know, I think that's also important. Like as a queer person, there's a lot of people that put themselves intentionally in queer spaces for the first time. Yeah, you know, like yeah, sort of alone. You know, you have to get lots of people who come alone. Yeah, Yeah. and it's like I have to meet more people, and there's a deep vulnerability in that. And I can see, even like me, I'm older. I'm you know, I'm out. I'm comfortable with all this stuff. Yeah, there's something really nice about someone signaling the energy. Yeah, like proactively. Yeah, because you feel very vulnerable. It is very vulnerable. Space in a weird. Way. Like, I mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's vulnerable to walk into any new space. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and I think that any space where you're not like sure what the deal is and yeah. you don't know who's there. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was in Boston today. Just came in from Boston, and even getting on a metro on the T that I've been on like maybe only a few times in my life. It's like you walk into this thing and you're like, I don't really know. Like, do people drink coffee mm. on the T? Mm. You know, do people like what are the rules of engagement here? I actually am not really sure. Yeah. So. It's just a matter of like feeling comfortable, you know? There's something also about hosting a meal or dinner that is more interactive. Like, I I feel like you you could, if you were hosting a talk, a book reading, someone could come in and sort of just be a ghost in the space and leave and not talk to a single person. 100%. But if you're going to host a meal and you expect them to perhaps sit down and talk to strangers and share food with them, to uh, it makes sense that you. If you want, you you should be welcoming from the bat. You know, it's like totally the true. moment that they come in, if it was like sort of a standoffish, like how do you expect those folks to then feel even more comfortable enough to sit down next to a stranger and, and share food with soup. them yeah. and eat soup with them? Yeah, yeah. Set, it, set the It's time. not like you're showing yeah. up at a movie theater by yourself and you could just like yeah. sit there. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more. One of the amazing things about Queer Soup Night, it's not just in New York. You guys have six or seven other cities I don't even know anymore. So many. I'd have to do this. I'd have to count it. a lot. How did that happen? Was that part of... Well, I guess I'll go a little bit further back. Did you know when you did the first Queer Soup Night that you were going to host it multiple times? Or was that something that was just like, wow, this went so well, I should keep going? It went so well that we should keep going. So it was like a reaction. There was such an energetic response. And it then, just seemed obvious after the first one. We were like, oh, this is definitely happening. Again. And the thing is, it wasn't that hard. Yeah. Like, it was work, but it wasn't like, this is so hard. And you asked earlier what the changes are. Yeah. And there were two things that have changed since the beginning, and really only two things. And one is that in the beginning, I made all the soup. And right. um, that changed is what we realized was very quickly, this was something that could lift up other queer chefs. Yes. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was like, ah, I'm throwing this 
this party, come to my party. And then it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't about me. This is about all of us queer chefs out there who may not have a venue. First of all, to just be out and proud and making food for people, right? And all the same, like bringing together their queer and food identities. And also a lot of the people, you know, may not be famous. They may not have their own restaurant, but they're people who are really talented and generous and awesome. Yeah. And so that was a big shift is like now I only make soup like probably every three events okay. or something like that, Okay. which also makes it easier to, <laughs> to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other big changes in the beginning, we actually just, the first two events, we just donated the money to the mm. organization. We didn't have the organizations come because oh. from the beginning, one of our principles, we, we didn't want the organization to feel like they needed to do any work. Yeah. We wanted it to be like a gift from the queer community to said organization. Like we are giving you this gift. Yeah. You didn't have to do anything. But we realized that having a connection to the organization made so much more meaning for everyone involved. Yeah. And the organizations are amazing and they love coming. They yeah. have such a good yeah. time. So it, and it was an educational opportunity for them to share and get new volunteers or whatever. Yeah. But we still try and make it so that they don't have to do any actual work. That's would, cool. You made, it, you made it more participatory. I mean, from the first one. The, yeah, exactly. You make all the soup, then you start working with others to make the soup. And Correct. then. Also, you move from donating the money to, no, come come be a part of it. Come get totally involved. True. Come get to know people. Totally. And I feel like in that action of making something more participatory, you might be afraid at first because it, it seems like a lift from someone else, but actually it creates more meaning when people can contribute. And actually, totally. yeah, and, yeah, and feel more of a part of the thing. And people, like the chefs love it. Yeah. Like everyone has such a good time. Like, I've never gotten a no, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And no organization has ever said no. It's always yes. And it's always an enthusiastic. Yes. And I mean, now we've been doing this. So obviously people have, we can even like say, well, you can read about it and learn about it. In the beginning, it was kind of like, hey, you want to be a part of this thing? thing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But now it's like, you know, we're (laughs) a little bigger than that. So so. have you, have you done stuff like this for a while? Like is Queer Soup Night one of many sort of gatherings that you've been hosting across your life? Or is this sort of a first time bringing people together at this sort of scale? So my company that I co-own with my business partner, Jeffrey, um, called The Gefilteria. So we we do old world Jewish food and we wrote the book together. We do a lot of gatherings, though they're not, I wouldn't put them in the same category as this. First of all, it's our job. And generally somebody brings us in. We don't just like create an event and invite people. We travel all around and get invited to do events all over. Um, So there's a certain level of hosting and curating that we do. But this kind of organic, like totally from the ground up party and community building thing is, I think this would probably categorize as the first time I've done it. Mm. I lived in DC for a couple of years with some folks started a party there that's still going, Hmm. uh, but they took it to the next level. What's it called? called over easy it's a sunday tea dance and it's awesome and it's been going for like eight years or something like that cool and but like i started it with a couple friends and then when i left dc but they kept it going and they like really made it amazing party Mm -hmm. but i do feel like that was my first taste of queer party throwing which i appreciated that little taste and I, I want to ask you too, so after you you start the very first Queer Soup Night, the response is amazing and you keep hosting. And at what point does the first new city pop up for Queer Soup Night? Like how did that happen and what was the first one? And yeah, tell me that story. So there were actually kind of two chapters that started almost at the same time, not exactly, and outside of New York. And one of them was our friend Larissa, who's been involved since day one. She moved to Florida. She moved to Gainesville, Florida. I was wondering why Gainesville, why Gainesville Florida. So she moved to Gainesville, Florida, and we sort of said, hey, Larissa, you should do a queer soup night hmm. in Gainesville. Hmm. And she said, sure, that sounds like an awesome idea. And there's yeah. a huge 
huge and amazing queer scene in Gainesville and mm. it's tight knit and it's cool. And so she knew exactly how to do it because she's a person who had been in since the beginning. So yeah. she's so just she like, been going to the ones here. Or she she just was had been cooking in for them. No, she was oh, cooking okay. for them. She was like, we originally cooked soup together. Like we had been talking about hot dyke soup canteen together. She's <laughs> oh, a yeah. train chef. So she made the focaccia for all the early soup nights. Mm. She's made soup for soup nights. Like she was an early person, very involved in the formation of it has like is continues to be a volunteer. So when she moved to Gainesville, it was sort of felt like you should just try one. Why yeah. not? And I don't really remember the conversation, but I remember it being like a very honest, like, yeah, of course you should. That's, that's a good idea. Why don't yeah. you do one? You're down there. You left us. So why don't you start one? My girlfriend spends a lot of time in Gainesville, has a lot of close friends there. Gainesville. I know. It's cool. You guys should go there. So it was just like, yeah, I think we were down there for Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. My mm. girlfriend and I and Larissa was there. And I think that's how we started talking about mm. it, actually. Mm. And it happened maybe six months after the first Queer Soup night. Actually, wow. it was. It was that Thanksgiving, and that's when it was. We were there, and I was like, this place is amazing. You should do Queer Soup night here. Mm. And then I called my friend Risa, who's a chef in Portland, and she had been texting me, wish I was at Queer Soup night. Looks amazing. <laughs> like, it's so cool. I really want to go. And I called her, and I said, Risa, your money where your mouth is, I said, sister. I think you need to start this chapter in Portland, <laughs> yeah. Oregon. Yeah. And never have I met a person more capable and on brand for Queer Soup Night. Mm-hmm. Risa, I love you. Um, she throws pop-ups for basically for a living. Okay. So mm. she has the skill set better than me. She is completely skilled in the setting up of food in places that might not normally have food. <laughs> right? Super qualified. That yeah. super valuable. Yeah. Very valuable. <laughs> very valuable. And she's a trained chef. You know, she's a chef and very talented. So I knew that about yeah. her. She'd actually been my pen pal for many years. We wrote letters and we're always like talking about food. And also she's very out and proud in that way. And she's good at, look, I didn't know if she'd be good at rallying people, except from the evidence I had from what she did professionally. But I just knew that she would be conceptually really on board because of the enthusiasm she had and she had the skill set. And she's created a queer soup night in Portland, Oregon. Now there's been three. And once you do something three times, it's a thing. And she just understood immediately like, okay, we need to make sure that every person involved is sharing this on their social media. We need to make sure that everybody gets a thank you afterward. Like Mm. she just knew those things. And, you know, we worked together a lot in the beginning. So those two were the first. They were people we knew. Yeah. Very direct connection. Yep. And there was some prodding you that you kind of saw that people uh-huh. were interested in. You were uh-huh. like, uh-huh, I see you. The first two I did. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then I didn't call anybody else. Then people started coming to us. Okay. And how did you say yes or no to people that came to you? Because these are strangers. So you have yeah. to decide, like, are you a good fit? Are you not? The people raising their hands. Right. So we have a process that's still in process, <laughs> yeah. I'd say. Yeah. It's actually not a perfect process. I've never built anything bigger than my immediate sphere of anything. I have no mm. idea how to build an organization. I have no idea how to create structure. Newsflash, you're totally doing it. <laughs> well, it's making me a little nuts because because usually I'm very used, I'm a business owner, so I'm very used to having like my hand in all the pots mm. and I don't actually have a problem letting go. It's more a matter of like, how do I make sure we keep track of everything and also keep the quality up and, and, and so how do we choose? So there's a vetting process and what I'll say is that we hear from a lot more people that actually can follow up on what they do. Mm. So you have to have an extendedly long phone call with me <laughs> and I have to ask you about your background but one of our rules and we do have a rule which is that you have to have a chef on your core team we've been reached out to by some party promoters in various places it's great that's great but you need to know about food again one third of the mission of this organization 
which is not actually an organization, is <laughs> lifting up queer chefs. Yeah. And so if you don't have the chef component, A, you're going to not do the food service very well, mm -hmm. and B, you're missing literally one of the pillars of the entire idea. Yeah. So that's like one of the quality controls is like, if you're not a chef, you need to work with a chef. So for example, I heard from a guy in... Chicago and he was awesome and I like really liked him and he was blogger and he's really into food and I knew he'd be great but then I heard simultaneously from this woman Jasmine who is totally involved in food works professionally had won a James Beard scholarship to like work in food and so I paired them together and so together they have like the right skill set to do it yeah right and, yeah. and that's happened that's in a few great. different places because at the end of the day anyone is allowed in my mind to give it a shot if you really show up and you do these like various things. Like I can't really tell if you're gonna do a good job from a phone conversation or even meeting you. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But what I do know is I can control for the factors I know, which is like, if you don't know about food, you can't do this on your own. Yeah. It's like, what are the things that without them, without these qualities, you're sort of like eliminated from selection instead of like things I suspect you might have. It's like, what do you not have? Yeah. You from kind of getting through That's the door. it. And I'll be completely frank with anybody who comes to me and says that we have a, a document that is our guidelines and mm -hmm. how we work on things. And it's a work in progress and it's a thing that we're developing. But one of the top of the list is there has to be a chef on the team. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about that we haven't quite talked about really specifically is that the three founders in New York are you, Liz, and then Jen and Kathleen, who I believe all identify as female. Yes. Or probably as lesbians, I would assume, or female or queer. Probably, but for sure queer, definitely cis, cis female. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and it, you just mentioned that there's a, a man who offered to open a chapter. And yeah. that, I think one thing that I love is I love queer people who can hang out across all different yeah. types of queers like gay men lesbian like hard like dykes like yeah. the whole the whole thing it's the a really special yeah. energy when everyone can get together like yeah. that um and I was just interested in did that evolve kind of given that you guys all have a little bit of a similar identity how did you guys evolve to bring in men and bring in all different types of people how do you set the tone or like make sure that for instance like gay men knew they could open a chapter or that they could come along uh well the first thing I want to say is that I think a lot of people would identify as founders of Queer Soup Night, and I would want oh, to give yeah. them love, give all of them love, like everybody that was at the first one, and I won't even list their names, but we've been a little, like, trying to be as radical as we can about not making this about me or about the three founders or about that story. You notice I'll use we a lot yeah. and instead of I, and... I understand that I spend more time than anybody else on this project and that, you know, in some ways people identify the project with me, but there's so many people involved in this and there were so many people that contributed to the evolution of this, you know, from like my ex-girlfriend to my like other ex-girlfriends who are all involved, you know what I mean? There's like so many people. So, um, so really grateful um, to everybody, to like the entire community, um, to all my roommates and to just so many people that, you know, the roommates at, my, at the time and our mission and I think this gets to the heart of some of what you all are talking about is that we're really interested in local communities connecting so that's why there has to be somebody local running an event I don't know anything about Portland Oregon you know I've been there a lot of times but like I shouldn't have anything to do with that so whoever is the core people there's no doubt that the first rung of people that are going to come are going to be their friends so here there was no doubt that the first rung of people that came were skewed lesbian or skewed female identified 
queers, right? But we called it Queer Soup Night. And I think that sent the signal right away yeah. that everybody's welcome here. Yeah. In all of our invitations and in all of our you know, Facebook things and on our website, we always say all are welcome, including yeah. allies. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. And I think that that message, both in the language of calling it Queer Soup Night and in showing photos on our Instagram of like everybody and just like really shouting out how welcome everybody is in our social media. I do think that that sent a signal. That said, like the majority of the chapter leaders I think are female identified, but not all, not all. And we've certainly could probably do better at reaching out to various communities, We think about that also in terms of the venues, right? So that's another thing. It's Mm -hmm. like, are these spaces that everybody feels welcome and comfortable? Yeah. And the chefs also. The people who come are the people who get invited. And the people who get invited are the people who the people who are involved invite. Yeah. So it's like, if I have a male-identified chef who's gay, there's probably going to be some gay guys who show up. Yeah, absolutely. Right? More likely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Did you want to ask a question? I'm just curious what's on your mind right now, like with Queer Soup Night and it's now moving to other cities. Yeah. What challenges do you have or what are you trying to figure out? You know, um, everybody involved does this on a volunteer level. Mm -hmm. There's nobody getting paid. We are, in fact, not a formal organization. And I feel like in some ways we could really benefit from some formalization. But I think some of the magic is the fact that we are a little informal. Yeah. So my biggest tension in my heart right now is like, how can we grow in a way that's realistic so I don't spend every night and weekend working on this because that's not realistic and without losing some of that magic. So actually the other day I spent a really long time and I created, this is so detailed, but I think it's worth saying. I I like details. Okay, so I sent, (laughs) I created a Google form. I created a Google form and I sent it to about 70 people who either have signed up to be volunteers or are really involved in some way as a chapter leader or a former chef, like people who are really involved, but mostly to volunteers because we hear from people constantly who want to volunteer Mm. and guess what we have nothing for them to do because this party runs itself people always want to help out with the party and they're like let us know if you need help but the truth is like it's three chefs serving soup and there's like (laughs) spoons and bowls like it's not you need like two greeters two to four greeters and like a couple of people replenishing the spoons and frankly like the same people do it every time because they got really good at it and Mm. they know exactly what to do and they're also people who are very welcoming. So we don't have a funnel to like bring in new volunteers. And I realize like we're losing out on this huge opportunity of all these people who are so generous and want to be involved, who aren't necessarily chefs, who aren't necessarily like PR people. So I really racked my brain the other day. I thought, what are the real things we need help with? Really? Like not like helping set up. Like there's literally 10, like it's 15 Mm -hmm. minutes of setup for anyone other than the chefs who just have to come heat up their soup. It's like not a big deal. And no one believes us, by the way, but it's true. So I made a Google form and I said, hey, everybody, please choose one to two things that you think you'd really like to help with. And I boiled it down to Can like... Can you like give examples absolutely. of what those are? So I broke it down into two categories and it was like local in New York and like help with national growth. And so like the local New York was like, you know, being a beneficiary liaison, sending thank yous after the events somebody working on figuring out how we can make sure we compost all of Hmm. the spoons that I can't deal with that right now. Mm -hmm. Somebody just being on like compost and recycling in the national category, 
updating the website. Somebody's job is just to make sure the website is updated. And like on a higher level, we also have like chapter liaison. So somebody who can be kind of mentors to some of the mm. new chapters. That's not me because lots of other people have skills. So it like took me a while to like break it down yeah. into these little nuggets. And then I said, whoa, there's all these things people could help with. And they might not be like the sexy things that people want to help with, but if they really want to help, this is actually what we need help with. And it felt amazing, A, to make a list of those things because I just had never identified them before because mm -hmm. I hadn't had a minute to think about it. And B, I thought, could you just imagine if people really did this? Like we could really like, <laughs> yeah. it, but it wouldn't, and it wouldn't like harsh my mellow because I don't think it would make it like so formal. Like harsh it's like, mellow. it's like somebody's job is like just to make sure the website's updated. Yeah. So yeah. when we have a new event, I'm like, here's the deets. Can you just make sure this gets on the site? And then I don't have to think about it anymore. And right now Kathleen does that, but she also designs the art and she also helps answer the emails and she, you know, so she has so much going on and Jen does all the social media, which is great, but she shouldn't have to do like the thank you, you know, shout outs to everybody. It's like somebody can compile a list of all the people to think. And I thought, whoa, like this is actually helpful. And so I think nine people have responded so far. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody wrote website. I don't know who it was yeah. yet. I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like there's, there's something powerful about looking at the total picture of what needs to be done in order to yeah. run Queer Soup. And breaking that apart into lots of little manageable chunks and just realizing like, oh, I don't have to eat this whole slice and these totally. three other organizers don't have to eat the whole slice. We can actually totally. break it up into these little bits. You don't even identify as the sole founder of this thing. Yeah. Like the more that you're able to spread those out is powerful. And then I have a hunch that there are people there that can think even outside of what you've defined. Yes, somebody they're, already did. They're already somebody like, already actually, did. you know, you know, those spoons you can compost. So if I really were to like go and try to make this as sustainable as possible, there's X, Y, and Z that could actually. Happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm dying for somebody to step up. And it's funny because people always want to come and they're like, I want to help set up, you know, make soup. And I'm like thinking it's because people don't realize all the other stuff that needs to happen. Yeah, it's not because they only want to set up soup, yeah. it's they don't realize the yeah. other options that are there. And I didn't even realize yeah, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, you're really catching me at a moment where I'm feeling amazing about this because yeah. I truly don't want this to become a thing where all of a sudden we're like having committees on this and we're, you know, like 20 meetings a day. Like that's friendly, warmth, nourishment, yeah. party, community connection like I really want to stay in that zone yeah I really don't want to ruin it and it's only sustainable too which a lot of the power comes if it sustains and yeah. if people keep yeah. doing it in yeah. more and more cities and I think we see a lot of times like with organizers like it's heavy work and yeah. like even if it's just emotional yeah. and to be able to get other people to show up to help you contribute in real and meaningful ways, it makes it more likely for you to be able to continue to be involved or like just the organization to continue yeah. going forward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love it that nobody has to get paid to do this. So if we can disperse the work in yeah. a way that makes sense, then also it continues to be manageable for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it wouldn't be great to make money, but it's like, we don't ever want to use those donation funds to pay us. Like, yeah, yeah, we just yeah. don't. Maybe in two years, they'll kick me out and they'll say, Liz, like <laughs> modernize, like make an organization out of this. But I don't want that. I want this to stay like family, yeah. you know, as long as it can. Well, that's a good way to end the interview, I think. Should yeah. we wrap it up? 
Yeah. Cool. Liz, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. That I hope really you all, all come to the next Queer yeah. Soup Night on Hell June yeah. 9th at Nighthawk Ooh. Cinema Hell in Prospect yeah. Park, Brooklyn. Woo-woo! Is there going to be a reveal. movie or just in the zone? Party and then a movie. Oh, my God. Ooh. Wow. What could a young little queer want more than that? <laughs> it's pretty fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just right. we confirmed it. I'm very excited about it. Sweet. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks cool. for doing what Thank you. If you want to get involved with Queer Soup Night, Maybe bring it to your part of the world. Visit QueerSoupNight.com. No spaces, no nothing. QueerSoupNight.com. Mmm, soup. What soup would you make for Queer Soup Night? Totally daily? borscht. I love borscht. borscht. What, yeah. What, what, is, what goes into borscht? What it's is like borscht? beets, and if you want it to be it, traditionally beets and beef, I believe, mm. but you can make a vegetarian version. Mm. And they put a dollop of uh, sour cream mm. on the top of that thing. That's delicious. Dill. That's yeah, delicious. It's really good. What about you, Kev? Italian wedding? Really? Italian wedding soup oh is God. so... I've never made it. I would love to, though. Damn. I mean, there are Vietnamese soups as well. You know, I'm Vietnamese. There are, are Vietnamese soups are good my, at soups. Yeah, they're great soups. However, I'm right now I'm thinking Italian wedding. Damn. There's little meatballs. Don't they often come with little meatballs? I think so. I or that. just some kind of like meat. globule. Ah, oh, I love that. Yeah. Love those meat globules. <laughs> okay, if you want to find out more about us, uh, visit our website, peopleand.company. Not a dot com, but a dot company. Dot company. We're writing a book. Exciting. Should come out later this year. Um, we just saw the mock-ups of it. We just I cried during the design meeting. Seriously, it was amazing. <laughs> I, I hope you guys think it looks good. Yeah, too. The, the book is the same name of the podcast. The book is called Get Together. Um, it's a synthesis of what we've learned from conversations like this, of rad people building communities. And it talks to you about how to start a community, big or small. How to be like Liz. How to be like Liz. Liz and team. Uh, You can sign up to get notified on our website for emails and stuff. Love emails. Or just say hi to us with an email. Hi at peopleand.company. Cool. And last thing, if you feel like it, please review this podcast and click subscribe. It helps us. We're here. We appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Groovy. Bye. Bye.